is Bloomberg Surveillance. The labor market is approaching full employment, in my view. I'm more looking at the relationship between employment gains and the increase in the labor force. The Fed does believe that jobs and the unemployment rate is critical to future inflation over the medium term. The Fed has been communicating very effectively for the past six-plus months that they're going to be focused on that data, and that's the one thing that they've stayed the course on. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keen, Bloomberg Surveillance. It's our Super Bowl, 12 times a year, Jobs Day. No, not the Broncos. No, not Carolina. Jim Glassman with us right now with Morgan Stanley, uh, uh, with J.P. Morgan. I got my Morgans mixed up there. Morgan Stanley, J.P. J- I've done that before, John His Tucker. boss is listening. It's yeah, all- that's very good. I'm sorry, Mr. Diamond. I didn't mean to say that with J.P. Morgan. Jim Glassman with J.P. Morgan and Bill Gross with Pimco. No, I mean Janice. It's two for two. Should we start over? Jim Glassman with J.P. Morgan and uh, Bill Gross with Janice. uh, uh, Now we have no guests. Everybody's walked out. (laughs) Now we have no guests. But seriously, folks, it's an important hour. And the backdrop is the most amazing January uh, that we've seen. Let's get right to it with a quiet data screen this morning. Jim Glassman, first of all, thank you for your comments on Robert Gordon and the splash and the debate that his book has made. It's an important yeah. uh, argument to get out there, but time will tell. The argument is is we're losing our aspiration, we're losing our technological progress, yeah. Yeah. and it's impacting these two Americas of jobs. You don't buy it. No. I know that. I think it's I think it's the energy going on and the innovation that's really contributing to this divide that's going on. Technology is a very disruptive process. It's displacing routine work. People who a lot of people have found their jobs don't no longer exist. I think it is part of that mix. So it's not showing up in our numbers yet. I mean, guys like Bob Gordon are looking at the numbers, and they say we're not seeing much productivity. But I think all of us see it everywhere. All right. You are We do? The, Innovation yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And we're, but, we're, it's but, but what is an iPhone going to, you know, uh, how does that increase well, our just, standard of living? I think it does. Yeah, I, ab- I, absolutely. I totally, I aggressively believe it increases our standard of living. I agree with you, Mike. I'm not sure where the I jobs are. I mean, our net incomes aren't higher but because it's what, of that. it's what the no, iPhone. I think they are. It's what it represents. It's, iPhone is just the very tiny sliver of a much bigger process that's going on. The, the big data is some, what people, some people refer to. Businesses have become far more efficient in running operations. This is true of the shale operations, the airlines. You, you can see it everywhere. And I think the iPhone is just where we're benefiting from. This is spinoff. But it's really e-commerce, <clears throat> and, and we're not measuring a lot of this stuff very well. Can I ask a basic jobs day question, which came up like four times on my travels here? Are we creating good jobs? 150, 130, gloom today 110, maybe we do 200 or yeah. 220. Are they good jobs? You know, I, I think so myself because when you look at where is the job growth by pay level, it's kind of across the board. High-paying jobs, lower-paying jobs, we're seeing job growth across the board, and, and no surprise, this is what recoveries look like. But honestly – the first job you get, remember the first job you got? It's not the best job you had in your life, right? So those the initial jobs when people get hired, they're always often beginner jobs, and then they, they progress through time if the economy stays on course. But I, I really think right now that we are totally confused by two big things that are going on. Number one, this, this downswing in oil prices is creating havoc for a lot of people, but it's a huge benefit. 
and consumers aren't really spending all of this yet. There, it's coming, but it's it, but but it leaves it leaves a lot of mixed things going on in the economy. And the second thing is because our demographics has shifted, we're getting much more improvement in the job market than you would have expected with 200,000 jobs. If you look at job growth relative to labor force growth, this is one of the better recoveries we've ever seen. And that completely goes against anything anybody thinks about when they think about this recovery. We all think of this as the slow-moving recovery. And I think the underlying demographics has really complicated how we view things. At the end of the day, this matters because it's relative growth that matters for the Fed in potential inflation. And that's why they kind of have to stay focused on the our, our, our you know unemployment levels and things like that. So... I can understand why we're, we're all over the map in terms of trying to figure out what's going on because there's a lot of cross-currents. And then we've got this backdrop of a global yeah. economy around us. Mike, struggling. Mike, before you jump in, a headline out of VW. I've got to be careful here. VW delays annual results. Anytime a big company does that, that's news. VW delays annual results uh, due to open issues on, open issues on uh, admissions and now we have something that's important, Bloomberg, a correction coming out. Help me with this, Michael. Now we've got a yeah, lot of confusion right. going on. <laughs> Dissemination. Help, uh, Bowden, help me here. Volkswagen delays the reporting of its annual results and annual general meeting. Yes. They'll set a new date for fiscal year 15 due to remaining open questions and the resulting valuation they're, calculations. They're postponing the uh, yeah. annual results, but they are going to publish their the findings of the report in April. Um, yeah. What, okay, what we they, got what it. May have I think we a little confusion. That? Right. that was surveillance confusion this morning. Michael, pick it up with James. Let's hope we don't have that at 8:30. Mm-hmm. That would be this true. Morning. Yeah. Uh, the, the 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 jobs report has become sort of the the be-all and end-all for uh, people in the markets. Is it, it, is. Is it that important um, absolutely. a measure of it's how absolutely. we are doing? It's not just a job support. It's the combination of jobless claims, which is probably the best indicator we have of what's really going on, ADP and payrolls. The reason why it's, it's absolutely the most important information we get because our GDP accounting, it takes a long time to get a real picture put together. It's very volatile. It's proven to be very unreliable. A little known fact, it used to be that when you saw GDP slow down, it, it told you there was something coming in the job market. Since 2010, the correlation between GDP and the job market has been virtually zero. There's no correlation. It doesn't give you any information. So if you're trying to figure out what's really going on in the economy, the job figures, I think, are among our best. Secondly, the job story is all about relative growth. So here, here we have 2% GDP growth. How in God's name did this economy recover with 2% GDP growth? We're, we're not used to that. Well, well, it's because the underlying growth in the economy, labor force growth, has slowed down very dramatically as the baby boom generation is moving into retirement, and our productivity levels have been slower. So what really matters, you know, growth is nice to know, but it means nothing if you don't know what our potential growth can, can, is. Shoot, I think we need to review this, Mike, the basic economics here. Potential growth is a guesstimate. Yes. It's come down. The Fed has brought the potential growth guess yes. down. Right. So you, but you only know the story. You don't. You never know what potential growth is. Sometimes we don't even know what actual growth is. That's why the job market is so important because employment is the net result of those two guys. Agreed. And so when you look at employment, you're looking. If people are hiring, they must be hiring for a reason. Mike, help me out here, particularly with your interviews with Fed presidents. 
Is 150,000 job growth today the same as 150,000 job growth in July of 2007, Michael? No, because the population growth is slower. Yeah. The number of people coming into the workforce is That's lower. Right. So the number of people you need to keep the labor market absorbing all the new entrants and bring unemployment down is lower. And the Fed knows that, and they've said that. It may not have penetrated the American consciousness yet. I no, would imagine 150,000 print would be just fine at 20th and Street Street in Washington, but the rest of the country is going to go, oh, my God, things are terrible. Yeah. We need 75,000 jobs a month to clear. The, that's, that, that's the bar we that's need to clear. That's the number That's now. all we need. Folks, what, that, what did that number used to be? What, the, what was uh, that number? 125,000, Okay, folks, this is so important what you're hearing. This is why we have Jim Glassman on. The, the bogey, the hurdle rate, Mike, am I right, used to be 125. And there now more, it's you know. under 100,000. Yeah, we, we've actually only been growing 60,000 <clears> since 2007. How would the market annually. react this morning if we got a 95,000 like number? It won't like it because oh, well, they haven't digested the meaning of this. They might like it. But, I mean, if, well, if, if 95,000, they're going to say, okay, the Fed is sidelined yeah, and already, that's good for they've us. They've already sort of ruled out the Fed this year. No, so. but I mean. But, but it wouldn't be bad. Right. All of our listeners and me look at a 95,000 job number as a failure. Yeah. The two of you are telling yeah, me yeah. it's not. No, it, it would be a failure early days of recovery, but now that we're sort of getting there, I mean, I don't think we're at full employment yet, but we're getting there. We, in, in the long run, we really only need employment to grow roughly 75000 a month, given current trends. Now, if more people start coming back into the workforce who dropped out, that may change a little bit. Right now, it's been very slow, and that's really all about demographics. The working-age population has slowed down very dramatically. It happened the day Bill Clinton turned 62 in 2008. He's the leading edge of the baby boom generation. And that's when you started to see the working age population slow down really dramatically. More people are leaving than were coming in. And this has been going on for a long time, as Jim says, because um, the labor force participation has been dropping long before the Great Recession. It's uh-huh. not just that. Jim Glassman with us. He'll stay with us another block. And then he'll be, he'll be with us for a bit after the results to interpret. Uh, he, will the if we get he will explain if we get 95,000. He'll explain if this is good news. No one will believe it. Uh, you love economics. And then Bill Gross uh, will be with us, who's been most opinionated about the linkages, the uncertainties that are out there across economics, finance, investment. As usual, a quiet screen. I would point out yen, even with fractional further yen strength, 116.73. The German two-year negative 0.489. Again, global trends in place around the American jobs report. Futures are flat. Now let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael? Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Drivers in the New York City area have a sloshy commute from snowfall this morning. Bloomberg meteorologist Rob Carolyn has more. It looks like the worst. The weather is between now and 9 a.m. in New York. That's when we'll see the accumulating snowfall, so the roads will become treacherous. Looks like a couple of inches around New York City, a little bit more towards the island. It's done in New York by midday. Two city police officers are in stable condition after he was shot and wounded by a gunman encountered in a Bronx housing project stairwell last night. The suspected gunman apparently killed himself. A United Nations human rights panel says WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange should be freed from the Ecuadorian embassy in London immediately and compensated for lost time. Assange faces extradition for sexual assault allegations in Sweden. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? 
Michael Barr, thanks so much. We'll continue with Jim Glass from the Bill Gross on Jobs Day. Just out, Simon Kennedy, Plaza Accord 2 faces high hurdles. That on Bloomberg. Good morning. The news update brought to you by Flushing Bank. Open a complete business checking account with $15,000 or more and get a free 16-gig Wi-Fi tablet. Visit FlushingBank.com for details. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow, and U.S. Stock Index futures have turned lower ahead of the jobs report. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk, and here is Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. That's right. Small losses in the U.S. futures ahead of those jobs numbers. Dow futures currently lower by six points. SBs dropped two, and Nasdaq futures declined by four. The 10 yield at 1.83%. On the economic front, those job numbers estimate 190,000. Unemployment rate estimate, 5%. After the Bellis Night, Athena Health was mixed. Decker's cut 2016 forecast. LinkedIn Q1 adjusted EPS and revenue views trailed estimates. Shares are down 30% pre-market. And Tableau Software license revenue growth slowed to 31%. Its shares are down 40% pre-market. In other news, Symantec reported a $500 million investment by Silver Lake. Regarding earnings today, Estee Lauder cut your adjusted EPS forecast. Moody's 2016 EPS view trailed estimates. And Tyson Foods boosted your EPS forecast while cutting sales views. Finally, some key Wall Street upgrades and downgrades this morning. Allstate raised to buy its Citigroup. At J.P. Morgan, Korean Marathon Petroleum cut to neutral. Credit Suisse cut to equal weight at Morgan Stanley. Decker's cut to underperformance, Stern AG. J.P. Uh, Morgan and Goldman Sachs raised to buy at UBS. And finally, LinkedIn downgraded at 10 firms this morning, including J.P. Morgan and SunTrust. Live from the first of breaking news desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen. All right, thanks, Bill. And to hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg type squawk, go in your terminal. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K, go. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thanks so much. 11 minutes away from the jobs report. We'll go beneath the headline uh, data. Bill Gross will be with us. Jim Glassman right now. Michael, uh, you, you look at the swirl of data out there. What has your attention? You know, uh, this is something that a couple people have mentioned over the last couple of days to me that uh, – that they're looking at, let me put it to Jim, the senior loan officers report, uh, new C&I loans, business lending, you know, commercial and industrial loans, business lending, uh, gone down for the last, uh, standards tightening, tightening, tightening. it's harder to get those loans uh, for two quarters in a row. And I'm seeing some notes from banks saying that data point is a, key ingredient in a lot of people's recession models. No, that to me that's not true. The, the, this is the same story that's been unfolding in the high-yield universe. What, what is the problem? The, the, there are a lot of energy guys who are struggling. If you're a bank, you're going you're to be tightening standards for that kind of lending activity. So I think it's, it's murky. It's very hard to sort out the direct and indirect effect of the oil sector. I mean, I would worry about this if we had been living in a credit boom. Then you'd say, gee, Maybe banks are getting more cautious. To me, what you're seeing here is a rational reaction to dangers that are popping up around the, the energy universe. But when you look away from the energy universe, there's huge benefits coming. We haven't seen it all yet. but So it, it's, it's really more, to me, part of this story of this divide that's caused by low oil prices. But this is just another point out there. And with all this stuff going on, 
if you're a CEO, why don't you just say the heck with it? I'm, I'm, go- I'm going to pull in my horns. I'm going to wait like I've been doing for the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, we're, we don't. We don't do any better than muddle along and maybe do worse. Well, well, you know, because stressful times, uh, you know, bankers are look for opportunities, and stressful times bring lots of opportunities. And there, there are some areas where you have to be more cautious. That's probably what we're seeing. But then when the world is nervous about, you know, global growth slowing down, it creates opportunities for people. So, you know, it's in bankers' interest to find the opportunities. And I think the, the big complaint that I've been hearing for the last five years is nobody wants to borrow. Banks, you know, banks have been struggling because we really haven't seen a lot of growth in CNI lending, partly because well, businesses are generating earnings, they don't need it, and partly because they're okay. very cautious. Good morning, Dan Elpert. Does that mean there's an oversupply out there of stuff and we're just at a cyclical point where we've got a dimin- – I sound like Watson in about 1950. <laughs> I mean, is there just too much stuff out there? Uh, you know, in some markets, I'm sure there there is, but I think this is just all sort of a really uncertain environment and businesses – have no compelling reason to be borrowing aggressively. They've got a lot mm-hmm. of resources themselves, and they're cautious. And and when you have the landscape uh, right. confusing right now, you're you're going to be it's going to make you much more cautious. How do you measure wage growth? I mean, there's like eight ways to do it. There's seven flavors. What's the Jim Glassman measurement? I like the most comprehensive measure: employment ECI, cost index ECI, ECI, which includes benefits, includes bonuses, benefits. Healthcare costs, all the is stuff our that research that we look at our benefits as part of our compensation. It drives me insane. At Bloomberg LP, the number of people that don't sum up, even though it's provided them by our good human resources people, they really don't get the check that's written on benefits. No, and they don't see that. That's the problem. A lot of businesses realize companies pay for all these benefits, and but when you pick you get your paycheck, you don't see the costs in there. So you tend to think, well, that's something you're owed. You don't. You tend not to think of that as just part of your compensation, but it is. They companies should put the whole bundle in your face. I mean, we we all know what we the get price of gas is. Yeah. Yeah. Big companies. I think big companies more. And more but it's money. hard. I mean, people look at what they have to spend. Not well, that's part of the problem. If if my company is paying a lot more for health insurance, that doesn't give me much. To, I don't. I can't spend that money myself. They're spending it on my behalf. What I care about is what do I have that's available for discretionary purchases, right. and that's the problem. Are we overtaxed? You know, I don't know how you would know. I look I mean, at my paycheck and I, I got tax one. It's like it's like thing one, thing two. My, tax one, tax two, yeah. tax three, tax four, yeah. tax five, six, seven. Welcome to New York. My daughter thinks she got her first paycheck. She said, what was <laughs> Isn't that a Welcome great to the real, thing? That's a great, word, real a world great moment. Oh, my gosh. She, all of a sudden she realized. I said, well, you're helping to pay cash for all this. Cash flow. Yeah, somebody's got to pay for all this stuff. Mike, when cash flow got his first check, he looks up, standing next to him, and I'm very proud of him and all that. He said, he goes, Jesus Christ, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody realizes. But that's that's. See, we're we're... we're I'm used to it, so I don't I don't know how to answer the question. My so overtaxed. Great, my my kids think they're overtaxed yeah. because this is the first time they're. We're, they we're, thought the numbers were great. We're going to have you for some perspective. What's your non-farm payroll call? About 175. Okay. Okay. The consensus is 190. Um, I am at 179, so I'm in, okay. I'm in your neighborhood. Oh, and, and I would have said 180, but everybody says, I, picks I, round numbers. I so. nailed it plus or minus 5,000 about a year and a half ago. Uh, I haven't made a guess. I don't at least, yeah. I haven't. I, mean, I just gave last up. Year was, last month was so off the charts. I don't <laughs> even know how to think about these Well, things. but revisions are important. If we right? do that again, I know. Yeah. You will. Let's That'll do this. Be. We're going to come back with Jim Glassman and give you uh, what we think is the best jobs coverage we can do. 
and in the world. We thank all of you for listening. Worldwide, Bloomberg Radio Plus, Bloomberg 1200 Boston, 91.1 FM, Washington, 960 the Bay Area. And here in New York, stay with us. Jobs Day. Coming up, the, with all due respect, highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit Land Rover, tristate.com for special offers during the only adventure sales event, Land Rover, above and beyond. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. It is Jobs Day. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keen. Vinny Del Judice has the numbers. Michael, the headline, payrolls falling short of forecast, up 151,000 in January, December revised lower. That said, the unemployment rate down to 4.9%, average hourly earnings up 0.5%. Again, non-farm payrolls, January, a gain of 151,000, short of forecast, the prior month, December revised lower, now 262,000, unemployment 4.9%. Average hourly earnings up 0.5%. At the Bloomberg First Ward Desk, I'm Vinny Del Judice. Let's go back to New York. Thank you, Vinny. Our economic indicators today brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. And, Tom, I said earlier, if we got 150,000, it would be great to have Jim Glassman here to explain why that is not right. Well, we got 150, and a 4.9 unemployment rate gets us back to February of 2008. Is that a good statistic, 4.9? Am I supposed to celebrate? Well, yeah, because it's moving in the right direction. We're, we're getting back to full employment. I really think full employment is more like 4.5%. But there still are there are still people who left the job market because of the recession that have yet to come back. So it's good it's good news, but it's also a reminder when unemployment is coming down, even though you're getting slower job growth, I think this is gonna be the story of two thousand sixteen. We're gonna we're gonna have to come to grips with what is the hurdle rate for the job market. So we're we're getting in the ballpark of a fully employed economy, but that but because the demographic demographics have changed we don't need to see the 200,000 jobs that we were seeing. But I, I still think, you know, any one number, 150, in the context of 292 last time, uh, you know, the trend probably hasn't changed very much still. We're still it, running above it, trend. It, good news, though, average hourly earnings up yeah. half a percent. So 2.5% uh, for the last month. That, well, that's much consistent, better than expected. right? Much that's consistent because if we're still growing faster than our underlying trend and un- so unemployment is creeping down, and we're getting closer to full employment, workers are going to see better pay gains. And that's this is what the Fed has been very focused on. So, you know, you don't want to sit around, worry about things that, you know, while the economy continues to get to full employment, you don't want, if you're the Fed, to sit around on the sidelines and then find out late in the game that you got to move quickly. Yeah. It's much better to be orderly. Jim Glassman, thank you so much with thank J.P. You. Morgan uh, this morning. And without question, the headline statistic is 4.9% futures negative 6, Dow futures negative 42, yields are a bit higher. We say good morning on uh, Bloomberg Surveillance to Bloomberg Go and all of you on Bloomberg Television uh, worldwide. And, of course, Bloomberg Radio 99.1 FM in Washington 
and, of course, Bloomberg Radio Plus Worldwide Jobs Day, which means we speak with Bill Gross of Janus Capital. Bill, 4.9%, I believe in the history books that you and I studied, is a pretty good number for the American economic experiment. Why are we so miserable at 4.9% unemployment? Well, one of the reasons, Tom, would be the underemployment rate, the U6, and that uh, didn't change. That's around, I think, 9.9% or or so. And so there are a lot of people that are underemployed, meaning just working part-time or, you know, not looking for jobs. Um, You you know, the the deceptive nature of the unemployment rate, I I think, is the the problem because it speaks to just a a smaller and smaller portion of the labor force. And I, I think, unfortunately, because the Fed... You know, uses that rate uh, in models such as the Taylor model to basically forecast interest rate policy that they're focusing on the wrong thing. Well, your business is investing on whether or not we're going to see inflation. We have rising wages better than expected this past month. What do you think of that? Well, uh, good for rising wages, but we know that they were 0% last month because of some statistical quirk. And the the YOY, as you know, Mike, is uh, around 2.5 or 2.6, and that's exactly what the last two months have been. So I'm heartened by that, but I think it's more statistical than anything. And we know that over a longer-term basis that uh, real wages are suffering and and that the the middle class and the, the, the lower class, a, a term that isn't used anymore in political circles, but all of those in combination you know, basically earn, aren't earning a, a wage that justifies uh, you know, growth in the economy of over 2%. And I, I, I think uh, Fed officials and central bankers everywhere you know, need a certain rate of nominal GDP that is real growth plus inflation. And for the last 12 months, it's been 2.9%. Uh, to me, if you, if you give me 30 seconds, to me that, you know, that represents, the 2.9 represents the return on capital. And uh, it doesn't cover the cost of capital, which is hard to estimate. But at market, for instance, for stocks, uh, a 16 PE is a 6% uh, cost of capital. And we know debt's somewhere around 4 or 5. If you can only grow at 2.9%, you, you have to basically take haircuts in debt or you have to have lower PEs. You need nominal GDP growth in the United States of at least 4%, and that's something that interest rate policy has failed to produce over the last five years. You don't see, then, an inflation issue building the Phillips curve, not back yet? No, I, I, I don't see that. Um, you know, to a certain extent, you could say that on a global basis, the globalization has provided, you know, labor for the past uh, 10, 15, 20 years, perhaps ever since the, the fall of the curtain in, in Russia in the late 80s. And so, you know, some of that is, is being absorbed. But, uh, no, there's, there's no real problem in terms of uh, labor. Um, and, and I wonder why a central bank... You know, has to be so focused and so absorbed on on the cost of labor and, and wages as opposed to the you know the the well, cost of, uh, of of interest rates and the cost of stock prices. It seems to me to be a little unfair. If you're just joining us, folks, Bill Gross, Janus Capital, Bloomberg Radio, Bloomberg Television Worldwide. Thrilled you're with us this morning. A churn to the market. Futures negative eight, but I don't ever want to overplay what we see in the market now. West Texas Intermediate flat 31.82 a barrel. Bill Gross, I'm going to say this with. Without question, it has nothing to do with the Super Bowl. I'm sure you're at the 50-yard line with your San Francisco 49ers, and they're out there in Santa Clara and that. America's looking for the big victory on the labor economy. 
It's not there. Can policy fix it? Can Senator Clinton fix it? Can Mr. Trump fix it? Can President Obama fix it in his final months? What's the policy prescription within the caution of your research notes? Well, the policy prescription is is not just a a line alone. It comes from Summers, and it comes from a very noted economist, and it's simply commonsensical that once monetary policy has been drained of its uh, potency, and and certainly we're seeing that now on a global basis, then fiscal policy has to take up the the slack. And so why doesn't that take place? It's because the mindset is is anti-Keynesian. Look and uh, what happens in Europe with Germany and their balanced budget, uh, basically regulation um, that is enforcing, you know, the entire continent. Look at the United States in terms of the Republican orthodoxy. Look at the IMF right. in, in terms of its necessity to lend money, you know, as long as you know these emerging countries in, in extremis, you know, balance their budget. And so, you, you know, if you're going to be anti-Keynes, if you're not going to spend money on the fiscal side, then monetary policy can't do the job. And I think, to be fair to to Yellen and to Draghi and to others, they've complained about it for a long time. Right. Theirs alone is, it is simply uh, a limited task. You have to invest in it. Your clients and your uh, um, shareholders have to live in the financial repression we're in. If we're anti-Keynesian, if we're not going to stimulate, as Lord Skidelsky and others say that we should, then what is the solution to break ourselves out of this low-return lethargy that we're in? Well, that it, uh, to me, that simply is the solution. Uh, you know, in terms of monetary policy, that uh, central banks continue to pursue the uh, the theology that the lower and lower interest rates go, the more and more uh, you can create a wealth effect that eventually flows out into the you know the overall economy. And I think, to be fair, that to some extent that's been true. You know, <clears throat> Europe is above the line, and Japan's above the line, and the United States has averaged two percent. Right. But you know, certainly an- anemic relative to you know post Lehman days, and so um, lowering, lowering, lowering interest rates, you know, into negative territory with no limit as uh, as Draghi has suggested and Kuroda has uh, suggested, you know, to me, you know, that that, that right. is almost a, a negative aspect at this point in terms of its effects on the real economy. Bill, to touch on where we're going on the negative rate issue in our next, um, uh, we are in a time of completely unorthodox economy and investment. How do you invest given negative rate monetary economics? Well, um, you know, I think the logic is, and it doesn't work all the time because interest rates are volatile and stock prices go up by 1% or 2% a day and down by 1% or 2% a day. But um, if, if central bankers um, are true to their adage of, of being gradual in any direction right. uh, and not surprising markets, then uh, what an investor can do basically is – is assume that and sell that uh, assumption in the in the form of volatility. Okay. For instance, Bill, we're going to we're going to come back with Bill Gross of Janus Capital. Futures negative eight, Dow futures negative fifty. Coming up, we continue our discussion with Bill Gross of Janus Capital. Not in the jobs report, Bill Gross on the most historic nature of a time of negative interest rates. Stay with us, Bloomberg Surveillance. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This 
is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at nria.net. And futures are lower following the release of that jobs report. S&P E-mini futures down 8 points. Dow E-mini futures down 48. And NASDAQ E-mini futures down 17. DAX in Germany is down a tenth of a percent. Ten-year Treasury down 10.30 seconds. The yield 1.87%. NYMEX crude oil down 6 tenths percent or 19 cents. COMEX gold down half percent or $6.30. The euro, $1.1157. The yen, $117.15. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Uh, Karen, uh, thanks so much. Very quickly here, data check. Few, uh, the yield of four basis points, higher yield. Mike, un- unambiguously good numbers underneath uh, the headlines. Yes, we've got uh, not only the hours, uh, the, the earnings that we talked about being better, but hours worked went up by a tenth to 34.6. And uh, we're also looking at the participation rate, which so many people have been following. We talked about it with uh, Alan Kruger earlier, up to 62.7%. Yeah. And uh, that's the highest I can see in uh, definitely more than a year. Um, have to check that out. Dollar strength. We got interest rates again, four base point, 188 on the 10 year. We welcome Bloomberg Go, Bloomberg Television worldwide, and of course here in our radio studios, we are with Bill Gross of Janus Capital. Bill, we've got negative interest rates. I want to give you a two part question. I'm going to break a rule here. If I look at now, and if I look at two, three years from now, and I've got negative rates, and they go even more negative in certain countries or in new countries, how much of the 10-year yield now is affected at present by the flows into the U.S., and where will that be in a couple years if the new tool du jour is negative interest rates? <laughs> Very complicated question. It I don't is, know a com- if, uh, but it's important. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And, and uh, you know, it, it's hard to gauge. We know, uh, for instance, that uh, that OPEC-related uh, countries and their sovereign wealth funds have been selling treasuries because uh, they're, they're not as profitable as they used to be. We know that China, in their efforts to uh, maintain a, a, a peg relative to the dollar, has been selling treasuries and draining reserves. And so, um, you know, the... The purchase or sale of treasuries is significantly dependent on the, the price of oil and on the, the currency level that major countries want to maintain. So um, is that a right-hand, left-hand answer? Um, I suppose it is. Uh, it's very difficult to know. One third point is, is that the budget uh, deficit is declining and that the issuance of treasuries, especially the issuance of long-term treasuries, is being cut quarter by quarter. Uh, the, the Treasury seems to be going to bills as opposed to long bonds, which to me is uh, astounding and surprising at the low interest rates that we have. But in any case, you've got the Treasury, you, you've got China, you've got OPEC and oil, all related in terms of cross flows. And it's, you know, it's very difficult to know. I, I, I would say ultimately that it's the Fed funds rate that determines the 10-year and that determines the five-year, and those are the the critical elements going forward. And if the Fed stays where it is, then I don't think fives and tens are going to move much from where they are. Does that suggest, Bill, that the Fed isn't able to target monetary policy where it wants to? Yeah, I think so. And I think uh, to extend this to other central banks, Mike, that once you get close to the zero bound and go negative, uh, the rules change. For instance, the ultimate um, uh, attack against central banks on the part of the consumer is basically to hold cash. Now, we've seen in the last week or two lots of papers from the 
IMF and others about why uh, central banks can combat this and can basically, you know, av uh, avoid the problem of, of consumers taking cash as opposed to negative interest rates. But I think at the margin that that really is the significant right. aspect. That if, for instance, the ECB went down to minus one or minus two, that people would simply hold euros and that perhaps the financial ec economy would invent something like a, a CCO instead of a CMO. It would be a, you know, collateralized cash obligation in which, you know, you oh. could invest in cash, so um, uh, let's you know let's go there. But but cash is a is a I, significant aspect of how low they can go. And this is really important, folks. This is a switch in the last three weeks we've seen with cash not being a residual to a portfolio, but cash as being something you actually uh, manage. Here's the first read of the weekend, folks. It's at Bloomberg and at Bloomberg News. Simon Kennedy, Enda Curran out of Hong Kong, and Andrea Wong, the Plaza Accord 2 faces a high hurdle. And Bill Gross, Alan Ruskin's in here, Michael Hartnett with some interesting thoughts of a reverse Plaza Accord to help China. Bill Gross, do you need to attend a Plaza Accord in the next 20 months or so. Can Mike and I have lunch with you at the Plaza Hotel? Um, I would love to have lunch with you guys. I'm not sure they would have uh, lunch with me. I, I'm too calm. I'm too, common, I'm too commonsensical, and they depend upon models and statistical data that goes back 30 or 40 years in yeah. the old financial economy in which you could earn, you know, an appropriate rate of return on your capital. Uh, it's difficult these days, and the rules, to my way of thinking, change. And uh, so perhaps you can represent me at the plaza. Well, well, I, 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 can, I can tell you from talking with government officials here in the U.S., there's no plaza accord. No, <laughs> I agree there's yeah, no can, plaza can I, accord, but the fact is, Mike, people are talking about it. Yeah. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let me make a – I listened to your uh, your piece on Robert Gordon. Um, and can I make a comment Please on that? Raise. Because uh, obviously productivity has come down, and that's part of real growth. And one of the, the things that, uh, you know, the Fed and perhaps fiscal policy is trying to stimulate to get us back to 2 to 3% real rates of growth. But um, I think, and there's been a lot of papers in the past five or ten years on this that support it, that, that part of the high productivity of the past 20 or 30 years, this isn't Gordon's thesis, and it was a little bit absent from his book, but part of the reason why we had productivity at those levels was the productivity of finance. I mean, think about it, credit cards, think about it, uh, buying a car on, on, on loan, think about a mortgage. All of this facilitated the growth of the real economy, more cars, more consumption, more homes. When you get interest rates down to these levels, product, uh, productivity of finance diminishes or, or is absent. And, and so, you know, some estimates have suggested that uh, productivity of finance has been as high as a half to 1% over a long period of time. And now with that absent, that's one of the reasons why real growth can't go any higher and must go lower because finance is basically financed out. Right. Bill, our, our least sophisticated listener and viewer knows that we're on an unorthodox territory. None of this is in the textbooks. None of this were in the books you were reading in the mailroom at PIMCO when you were clipping coupons a million years ago. With that said, what is your portfolio, your unconstrained strategy to adapt in this odd, low-yield environment? Well, I was mentioning that just before the break, and it's a little complicated, but uh, let me say this. If central banks are true to their word, if they are gradual in one direction or another, depending upon how the economy goes, and, and we know there are shocks, there are tapered tantrums, and there are, uh, you know, Germans, uh, 
German uh, sinkholes, et cetera, et cetera, but say, uh, say they're true to the word and interest rates move gradually, then what you want to do is not accept the 0.7% from a two-year, but sell volatility around it. You know, pretend that the two-year in the next month or two can't go higher than 0.9 or can't go lower than 0.5. And when you do that, you know, you can basically take a 0.7% two-year and turn it into a 25 to 3% two-year. Now, does that come without risk? No, it doesn't. But it allows an investor to earn more on you know, what is a government-guaranteed security with a little bit of volatility risk by, in a sense, selling it. Well, as you set up that kind of strategy, let me go back to something you've been talking about lately. Uh, everybody with the, the Great Recession talked about Hyman Minsky, brought him back. Uh, stability leads to instability, is what he said. Look at the markets today. Does it work the other way? Are we wringing some excess out of the markets? Are we going to be in better shape? Or is the world still such a confusing place that nobody knows what to put money into right now, unless you're buying insurance like you're selling? Well, the, you know, the, the Minsky uh, stability and stability was significantly dominated by finance and by, you know, higher levels of debt. Uh, and, and certainly there are areas that have stabilized. Um, but in, in terms of finance, it's true that uh, aside from the household sector in the United States, that, you know, almost all other areas in the U.S. corporate debt uh, certainly government debt and globally and emerging markets, you know, huge expansion in terms of debt, China being the best example, then, the, you know, that represents a source of potential instability. Why? Uh, because ultimately once that growth of, of debt slows down and the bubbles that it's created in, either in terms of Potemkin villages in China or markets, uh, financial markets on a global basis and emerging markets, then uh, the instability takes place in terms of bubble popping. And with interest rates so low and in many cases negative, it's hard to believe that a central bank can contain yeah. you know, the, that bubble popping if, in fact, you know, debt uh, becomes unstable. Yeah. Bill Gross, thank you so much uh, with Janice Capital, and uh, always valuable to see him on a jobs day and, of course, to move forward to the tumultuous uh, financial times and economic times. Uh, we're in Mike, unambiguously, rates adjust from the gloom before. As Peter Bookvar says at Lindsay Group, payroll soft, but. And the but I'm sorry, Mike, 4.9%. I believe it was back to February of 08. 4.9% is a, is a striking statistic. And the underlying statistics are all better. So let's see how we trade today. Yeah. Well, there we are. Jim Glassman and Bill Gross. We are going to continue on our Jobs Day coverage with Futures at Negative 5. Bonus round, another snowy hour of Bloomberg Surveillance. <laughs> 